Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Turn it off. Like a light switch, just go click. It's a cool little Mormon trick. We do it all the time. Book of Mormon, Josh Gad, Frozen coming out November 22nd, Frozen 2. That's not the word of the day. It's off, like turn it off. Like Mitch Trubisky saying he wants every TV turned off in Hallis Hall all around his ballpark and stadium so all the negativity can go away. Well, Mitch, what do you think happens when players go home or they turn on their cell phone or maybe their iPad or iPod or Google Chrome? I think they get the negativity maybe from even their children. So I think just turning it off, that little special trick, is not going to work. Here's an idea. Be better. Don't be ranked 29th in offense. Just be a better team. The word of the day today was off, as you heard. But here's another word for everyone. It's called collusion. Yes, that is the word when you work in professional sports, specifically Major League Baseball, you are taught that the word collusion, that's the third rail. You don't ever want to be involved in any activities that could ever be thought of as potentially feeling like, sounding like, or smelling like collusion. There's an entire department at Major League Baseball in the commissioner's office, and what they do is they monitor statements. It's not like the FBI or the CIA or the NSA or the PDQ or the ADP or the FIQ. It's actually just a bunch of guys who are happy to work at Major League Baseball. And they're looking to see at press releases. They're listening to radio hits. They're looking to see what GMs and owners. It's like a clipping service, a private clipping service just for people in the Labor Department. Well, here's what the clipping service got just yesterday from Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager of the Hotlanta Braves. Every day you get more information, Alex said. And we've had time connect to connect with 27 of the other clubs, not the Astros and Nationals because they were busy with the World Series. But we had a chance to get a sense of what the other clubs are going to look to do in free agency, comma, who might be available in trades. Bing alarms, fireworks, people in the union are losing their mind. They're running around in circles, like in the movie, like the Three Stooges. They're running around. They're hitting each other. They're hitting, taking each other's nose. We got it. We've got collusion. Ring the bell. Go down the pole. Put on your fire coat. But guess what? It's not collusion. But Tony Clark did not miss an opportunity, the head of the union, to do his own statement. And here's what he had to say. The statements made by Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos call into question the integrity of the entire free agent system. Thank God he doesn't believe in hyperbole. The clear description of club coordination is egregious, and we have launched an immediate investigation looking into the matter. An immediate investigation. Let's decode both these quotes to make it very clear so you all know what happens. When the off-season starts, what a general manager does, first thing, he gets a payroll from his owner. 
Once he gets the payroll, he starts to figure out how to build his team. Three categories of players. Guaranteed contracts, which means they're on your team, they count in your payroll. Arbitration-eligible players, where you put in the payroll what you expect they will get through the arbitration system, which is when a player has been on your team for more than three years and fewer than six years, and the salary is determined by an arbitrator if you cannot come to agreement with the player. That's the second category that goes into your payroll. Then you take the total minimum salary. Let's say it's just for math, $500,000. It's higher, but just say $500,000. You count the number of sort of 25-man roster guys you'll have on your team who will be making the minimum. You add all those three up, and you come up with a number. If that number is greater than the payroll number given to you by your owner, you've got to make trades or you've got to non-tender your arbitration-eligible players, which is just a nicer way of saying release. I loved, actually. You just go to a player and say, listen, um, we're releasing you. Yes, no, you don't get your parking spot anymore. You could do that. Now, if the number of arbitration-eligible salary, guaranteed salary and minimum salary, is less than the payroll you get from your owner, guess what? You get to sign free agents. That's sort of what every team does. So now a GM gets his payroll. He knows who's on his team. He then starts doing due diligence. Due diligence is a very, very difficult legal word to understand. No, it's not. It means he's doing what generally fantasy players do, and he's looking around the league at players who he thinks can help his team win while plugging in the salary that those potential free agents would make or looking to trade for players and take on money, players who are more expensive than players they have, if they've got payroll to spend. So Alex Anthopoulos just said he was doing what every GM has done since the beginning of time. Before cell phones, they had to wait to the GM meetings or the winter meetings. But now with cell phones, they text each other. With this, they keep calm and carry on. That's pretty much how it works. So he calls 27 teams and says, listen, um, how's your team looking? That's not collusion. Yeah, you know, we need pitching. That's not collusion. Yeah, yes, we do have Keiko a free agent. We we really do believe Soroka is going to step up. He's a very good rookie of the year candidate for Atlanta. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, we could definitely, you know, we, we'd probably take a look at that. Oh, you're willing to trade a player like the Marlins, let's say, trading Sandy Alcantara. Oh, you'd be willing to trade him? Why, why is that? Why is he available now? Is he okay? Is he hurt? No, he's fine. We're just looking to improve our offense, so we're willing to trade pitching. Well, I assume, are you going after Cole? That's not collusion. I, can you believe how much Cole's going to make? That's not collusion. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, Boris is going to win again. He's going to get seven or eight years. That's not collusion. None of it's collusion. Here's collusion. Hey, GM of the Phillies. Hey, GM of the Angels, let's have a talk. Convince your owners to not go above five years, $150 million, 30 a year. Let's make that the maximum that Garrett Cole can make. Don't tell anyone we're saying that. That's collusion. What Tony Clark is doing is putting a stake in the ground, trying to allege that's what the union does. They put a grievance against me with the Marlins saying we weren't spending our revenue sharing money. We then showed him our financials, which which said we were losing money, and that was the end of that grievance. 
The bottom line is Tony Clark's job, other than making the players more comfortable and serving them better scrambled eggs, listen to the show yesterday, his job is to make sure that the players and the agents believe that he's doing everything he can to make sure that MLB owners are paying his players the most money possible. But what Alex Anthopoulos did, he'll get in trouble for, and trouble means he'll get a call from MLB. Hey, Alex, just don't say the word free agency. Just don't use free agency and talking to other people ever in the same sentence. But that's like this level where collusion is higher than my too tight jacket lets my left arm reach. That's how high collusion is. So if you're Tony Clark, I get what you're doing. If you're Alex Anthopoulos, thank you for doing your job. If you're MLB, I'm sorry you've got to call Alex and that you've got to deal with Tony Clark, who undoubtedly called the commissioner and said this is unacceptable. What he really means is that MLB no longer wants to pay old players for how good they used to be. They now want to play young players for how good they will be and are being. That's not called collusion. That's called smart business. Well, speaking of smart business... Something happened yesterday. It's happened over the past week, and it's something that I can't quite figure out. So I'm going to give you some insight into this. The Pittsburgh Pirates, as we've talked about on Nothing Personal, first they fired their manager. Then they fired their team president. Then they fired their general manager. Completely out of order, but now there's a complete void. They did hire a new president who used to be the president or COO of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I guess ostensibly because he understands that Pittsburgh has three rivers. So he comes in and he becomes the president. Well, he's got to hire a GM. Here's the problem. If you're hiring a GM and you've never been in baseball, you don't really know the candidates out there very well because you're not that dialed in. So what the Pirates did is they hired a executive search firm called Corn Ferry to do a GM search for them. Well, let me tell you about Corn Ferry. Corn Ferry is a big time company, no question about it. Uh, They do some great executive searches. If you're looking to become the marketing director of Company X in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and you work for Company Y in Seattle, you wouldn't know about the company in New Mexico. So you go to a headhunter who gets in touch with a search firm because the company in New Mexico says, hey, find me a marketing director anywhere in the world or country who can market my products. Well, baseball is a bit of a fiefdom, Coca. What that means is, There are no candidates outside the box. Do you think all of the Harvard and Yale-educated people who are in baseball as assistant GMs or GMs, that somehow they were found by executive search firms? I got hundreds of resumes every off-season. Actually, it was more. Sometimes a 100 a week of people from these schools, MIT, Stanford, Harvard, Yale. If you came from Wisconsin, you got a second look. Or Yale. All of these schools, they come to us. We're not a secret MLB. There's only 30 teams. We don't need help finding candidates to be GM. It's just going to be an assistant GM with another team, a current GM who's not a president of baseball ops, or a former GM who got fired because he or she, there have been no she's, hopefully there will be soon, maybe Kim Ng has a chance at this job. If you don't know who she is, you should check her out. She's very qualified, probably will be the first ever female GM at some point. All of the candidates are known. It's not as though the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to ask Corn Ferry to unearth someone out of the blue. How do I know this? Because Corn Ferry happens to be the firm that was used by Major League Baseball. Hold on, everyone. Used by every by Major League Baseball to find the ninth commissioner of Major League Baseball to replace Bud Selig. 
I know this because I was involved in Rob Manford becoming the ninth commissioner. And I do know that Corn Ferry was there because Corn Ferry made all of these big binders. And do you know who the final candidates were? Tim Brazen, who worked for MLB. Bob Bowman, who worked for MLB, was not a candidate but wanted to be. Tom Werner, the owner of the Red Sox, was a final candidate. And then you had Rob Manford. What exactly did Corn Ferry unearth? Did they look under their shell and say, oh my God, I have a great candidate? No. The universe of people to become the ninth commissioner of baseball was very limited to start with. And we knew that we wanted to have Rob become the commissioner. So we made sure that we worked with the other owners. That's an entire other show about how Commissioner Rob Manford became the commissioner. The only thing I can tell you today and will tell you today is that Corn Ferry had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was a complete farce. They were paid a lot of money to prepare binders on Rob and on Tom and on Tim Brosnan. There's nothing that we didn't know about these candidates. They sat there during the vote. They were at the head of the table because Bud Selig was the outgoing commissioner. So it had to appear to the 30 owners as though there was an independent search firm taking care of this process. There's nothing independent about a search firm that's paid by baseball to do what baseball wants it to do. We still had to get 23 votes, and it was still hard to do. That's a teaser for a future podcast. But from the Pirates' standpoint, Corn Ferry, are they going to present? David Stearns was found by Milwaukee. Apparently, Corn Ferry helped lead that search. I don't think so. David Stearns was not an unknown commodity. We will get all the information we need as a president of a team to make the best decision we can. When we put someone like a search firm in the way, what we're trying to say is that we have looked everywhere possible. And what a search firm is supposed to do is bring you other candidates. There will be no one, I promise you, who interviews for the Pirates GM who is not heard of within the baseball circles. It's not like Corn Ferry has an entire stable of other people who they want to fit in to be a GM. Even if it's like Brody Van Wagenen of the Mets and it's an agent who becomes a GM, it's still someone in the stable of Major League Baseball. And these search firms are meant to go outside the stable. So MLB, Pittsburgh Pirates, I don't know why you're spending your money on Corn Ferry. Maybe it's a sponsorship deal. Maybe it's an in-kind deal where you agree to pay Corn Ferry a couple hundred thousand dollars and they agree to buy season tickets. I did a lot of deals like that. You do this for me. I do this for you. All of that's fine, but I don't want you, the listener, to ever be confused as to what Corn Ferry or any search firm does when it comes to finding a top executive in Major League Baseball. I'll tell you about Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy, when's it going to stop with him? I, You know, we've been talking about him and the Chicago Bears for a long time. Their offense has been abysmal, right? So bad that at the beginning of this show, Not only did we get to sing Book of Mormon, but we also got to talk about the fact that Mitch Trubisky wants to turn off all the TVs. Absurd. I think what he should be turning off is the video of his own games. His offense right now is ranked 29th in yards per game and 28th in points. So Matt Nagy, the coach, said the following yesterday. You try to find every answer that you can and you stay as positive as you can. And I think that's the beauty of all of this. There's a silver lining. There really is. And people can say that's cliche. It is. So when you're doing a statement, what we learned is 
Like, you don't say, to be honest. To be honest, I don't believe that's a good statement. Because it means if I ever don't say to be honest, it means that I wasn't being honest. So don't say to be honest. If you have to say, it goes without saying, but I believe the Cowboys are not going to make the Super Bowl. Then don't say it. Don't ever say it goes without saying. So when you're giving a quote and when you're talking, don't ever say cliche, right? Because if you're using the word cliche, you can bet that it is a cliche and you don't need to say it. And then the coach, this is the head coach of the Bears. I don't know when it's going to happen. He's talking about his offense getting better. It's somewhere. It's somewhere. And when you finally knock it down and you figure it out and you get it, he must be in a touchdown. Then you're going to say, okay, I see. Now. I couldn't tell before. Matt, here's the quote. It's been very disappointing how our offense has been performing. The coaching staff and I have been working nonstop to try to get Mitch Trubisky in a better position to increase his yardage per attempt in order to get more yards during the course of a game. Our turnover ratio is plus two, which indicates we should be about a 500 or an over 500 team. It occurs to me that I've got to do a better job of calling plays in the right situations. I That's all I would say. Leave it at that. Explain to me why there'd ever be a moment when you as a coach would say, hey, I think I'm going to stay positive because this is going to turn around. But I don't know when it's going to happen. Can you imagine being the owner of that team or the president of that team and your head coach? Just picture your own work. Let's pretend that you work for a company and you're not hitting your sales goals. Yet you work on commission, so you're not making the money that you thought you'd make. But don't worry. The head of your company says, listen, this is going to turn around Sometime, somehow, we don't know how it's going to happen, but you guys are going to be so super happy when it does because we're going to turn the ship around and everyone's going to be smiling. Meanwhile, you can't pay your mortgage. That's what's going on with Matt Nagy. He's talking to a group of fans, a group of season ticket holders. He's talking to his boss, and all he's saying is, I'm almost positive it's going to happen, yet he's the one in control of making it happen. And if he doesn't have the right players, then pull a Callahan in Washington, not Auto Parts, not Sandusky, Ohio. Callahan, the interim coach who said, I'll only coach if I get full control over my 53-man roster. Full control. Pull one of those. Then you can say, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I'm going to try to fix it as best I can. Or if you don't have control, you say, I don't know when it's going to happen. And frankly, I have nothing to do with the roster. So... It may not may happen, may never happen, I don't know. But what Nagy did, it's just bothersome to me. And it's bothersome in that he's going to get away with it, whereas I would have absolutely not let him say that. Speaking of not letting him say something, is that a violation? Hold on. Is that a violation of free speech if I don't let my manager say something? Violation? It is. Okay. So there's a lot of talk about violating the First Amendment any amendment. So many talks of amendments. I actually like that we talk about all the amendments right now. Uh, Bill of Rights, because a lot of people can't name the Bill of Rights. They can't name the amendments. But once you think of that you're going to lose your amendments or your Bill of Rights, all of a sudden people get into it. So we're actually increasing and improving the intelligence of the general population. But in Alabama, they got a sitch. And their sitch is that they've got a huge game against LSU this weekend. It's the number two CFP team versus the number three CFP team. If you want to know what CFP stands for, spoiler alert, download yesterday's show. And if you can, give it a five-star rating. Tell your friends. Review it. 
rate it, subscribe to it. Thank you. I worked that in. Debo, it's in. Number two versus number three, home game for Alabama. Second to last home game of the season. Huge game. Championship game sort of ramifications. Alabama, the lower-ranked team, is favored by just under a touchdown. Do you care about any of that? Eh, sort of, but here's what I care about. Guess who's coming to the game? The president of this here United States will be at the game. Therefore, we had a letter go out to the students from the VP of Student Affairs of the Student Government Association of Alabama. May I remind everyone watching or listening, Alabama is a red state. That means it's got a propensity to vote for the Republican candidate for any particular office, unless your name happens to be Michael Moore. I mean, Roy Moore. Obviously, I don't mean Michael Moore. That was a joke. Did you get that joke, Coca? Mike Moore? He's not a red state. He's sort of blue. All. This is the letter right here. All. Due to an increase in security outside the stadium, we anticipate it will take an hour or more to get into the stadium. Additional security will be in the student section during the game. Bold underlined, here it comes. Any organizations that engage in disruptive behavior during the game will be removed from block seating instantly for the remainder of the season. Meaning for the next week's game against an FCS opponent, who cares? This is a major letter he wrote. Let me just read to you the bold again. Any organization that engages in disruptive behavior during the game will be removed from block seating instantly. Wow. Does that mean I can't cheer loudly? Does that mean I can't boo the President of the United States? Does that mean I can't boo LSU? Does that mean I should stop all the underage drinking that goes on? Well, there was some confusion about the possibility of free speech being quashed on the campus at the University of Alabama. So a second letter went out from Jason because a lot happened. And I'll tell you what. All, comma, this is letter number dose. Some have misinterpreted my comments regarding, quote, disruptive behavior. As with other games this season, block seating locations are clearly marked. But at a certain time, other students can and should have access to open seats. By disruptive behavior, we are asking students to be respectful to all students and staff and avoid altercations. But here comes the winning line. My email had nothing to do with anyone's First Amendment rights, and I'm sorry for the confusion. Please express yourselves, and especially your pride for the tide. Hey, Jason, you're a poet, and you didn't even know it. This is called CYA. Because he's not talking about people cheering for Alabama or cheering against LSU. He's not talking about that students block other students from sitting there during the course of a regular game. He's talking about liberal students and conservative students getting into arguments during the course of the game. He's talking about conservative students cheering for the president while more democratic liberal students boo the president. The president has been getting booed at various events. In theory, in Alabama, he should get cheered. It's a red state. But at games, Alabama games, you've got students from all over the country. So there's definitely going to be a back and forth of cheers and boos. 
That's what the First Amendment is. That's encouraged. I love when I hear boos and cheers at a game. I love booing and cheering players or guests. How about when there's a celebrity sitting in the front row and he's and he's previewing a movie that you saw that stinks? You're going to boo him. What if it's your favorite celebrity sitting in front row? You're going to cheer him. That's just how it goes. If the president wants to go to a game, he's got to be willing to get booed just as he's willing to get cheered. But it didn't stop there. So the VP of Student Affairs writes two emails back to back because the wheels had come off in Alabama about free speech, which is a huge topic across all college campuses. I spend a lot of time in New Haven up at Yale, and there is a major issue at Yale that we discuss all the time about free speech. And it's not just Yale. It's across all campuses. When you bring in, let's say, a very conservative speaker who is not allowed to give a speech because you've got the very liberal student body saying we don't want him or her, that has a quashing impact on free speech. So the Student Government Association in Alabama sent out yet a third letter. The University of Alabama Student Government Association released the following statement. The SGA, Student Government Association, quote, strongly affirms its belief in free speech and the rights of all students to express their opinions. Today's report, erroneously, this is the media who covered this. He's not blaming his own person in student government affairs. Blaming the media. Of course, that's what you do. Today's report erroneously, erroneously assigned a political context to a message meant only to remind students about heightened security and the consequences of altercations or other behaviors unbecoming of a U of A student. Let's see that again. Is that possible? Today's report erroneously assigned a political context to a message meant only to remind students about heightened security and the consequences of altercations and other behaviors. That's not what it was for. That's not what the first email was. Come on, just come out and say it. We've got the president of the United States coming and we want to show him that we're in a red state and we welcome him. And you know what? I don't care if it's a red state or a blue state. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's Trump the president or Bush the president or Obama the president. You respect the office. If you want to boom, boom. If you want to cheer him, cheer him. Of course, there's going to be extra security. But you're telling me that all of a sudden, before a game the president's coming to, they're sending out a reminder about altercations? Have they ever been to a game in Alabama? By the end of the first half, there's altercations galore. Because the drinks are flowing. Everyone's feeling good. And their team has been so good, it's not like they're focused on the field. Just doesn't make sense to me. It's disappointing. It's just, you know, what's disappointing to me is I think about it when it comes to sports. I don't want sports and politics to mix. But unfortunately, they do sometimes. And the interaction happens in instances like this. An instance where you've got a school who is getting a visit from the president, and they have an opportunity to actually make a statement that encourages free speech. Not doing it after the fact, that's not when it counts. It counts better when you do it before the fact. It doesn't count when you've got to release statement after statement after statement trying to cover up the fact that you were trying to quash free speech to start with. And then you protest by saying, of course we weren't doing that. You've made it 10 times worse for yourself. Every university has a full PR department. Every university is control 
in of its own message. Every single quote, press release, interview, it is funneled through. It's run like a sports team. The fact is, universities are a lot like sports teams. And the University of Alabama is no exception. And their football team is very much a huge part of the business of the university system in Alabama. They make a lot of money. There are boosters. Some boosters agree with this current president. Some boosters don't. Some boosters agreed with the previous president. Some boosters don't. That's not the point of boosting. Another conversation we've had on Nothing Personal. When you are a booster, you are supporting a school, an athletic organization. You are trying to make your school, your alma mater, or a school that matters to you better. And to make it better, you give money. But one of the basic principles of every school, no matter what state, is free speech. And Alabama took advantage of the fact that they're a red state and wanted to make sure they were welcoming to this president by attempting to quash that free speech of its students. So if you're a student of the University of Alabama and you love Trump, then cheer. If you hate Trump, then boo. Either way, don't break the law by go by drinking underage. Don't get yourself arrested and thrown out of school. But as far as all this these letters are concerned, all these back and forth statements, it's worth the paper it's printed on. <sighs> Emotional about free speech as I should be. One of the great players of, in MLB is retiring. Uh, Martin Prado. We got Martin Prado from the Marlins, uh, on the Marlins in a trade with the New York Yankees. And we had heard that he was a good guy. Remember, he had been like a utility player and he made it to an all-star game. And he came to us and he was going to be a starter. And I didn't know him at all. I'd never met him when he was traded. And I met him the first spring training. And I got to know him. But you don't really get to know a player until you live with that player. So every time I hear rumors about other players being good guys or bad guys, I take it with a small grain of salt. And the rumor about Martin Prado is he was an absolute classic case of a perfect gentleman, great guy in the clubhouse. And then I lived with him. And I realized that those people telling me that were wrong. He's better than that. I'm not sure I've been around a clubhouse, clubhouse person better than Martin Prado. And I want to give you the reason why. Two of them. The first one is he was in the clubhouse when Jose Fernandez died on that Sunday, September 25th, 2016. Martin Prado was the one sitting with me and Michael Hill at the dais when I gave a press conference, when we gave a press conference announcing and discussing the tragic accident. I barely remember that press conference, but what I do remember is Martin Prado and Don Mattingly with me and Mike Hill and looking at Martin Prado's face as he was wearing this look of disbelief, this look of sadness, but also this look of absolute control. We had just offered Martin Prado a major contract extension prior to Jose's dime. And Martin was going to sign it. He had agreed to it. And... We wanted him on the team because we thought we were a good team and we should have made the playoffs. And we wanted Martin to be a leader. I saw him lead that day in a way that I'd never seen a player lead because I'd never been through a tragedy like that. And the reason why he was able to lead is the reason why he's the best clubhouse player I've ever been around. In every Major League Baseball clubhouse, there are cliques. Generally speaking, everybody relax, but generally speaking, you've got Hispanics hanging out with Hispanics, you've got African-Americans hanging out with African-Americans, and you have Caucasians hanging out with Caucasians. Generally speaking, obviously that's not an all-in rule. Please 
Don't at David P. Sampson. Don't ratio me. I'm just telling you how it is in clubhouses. Martin Prado was able to be in every single click and get all the clicks together. He made every clubhouse he was in cohesive. And there have been only a handful of players in my 18 years and in the hundreds of players I've been with in the clubhouse. He's one, I can count him on one hand, a non-Antonio Alfonseca hand, meaning only five fingers. He's got six. Five fingers. How many clubhouse leaders there are who can make clicks become one? And Martin Prada was able to float back and forth. He's not the only bilingual player I've ever been around. I've been around plenty. He's not the only one who's had friends in different cliques. I've been around many of those. But he had the clubhouse working together. It is a sad moment that he's leaving baseball because baseball has become much more of a me game than it ever used to be. Martin is an old school guy. He had all of the pine tar on the back of his jersey. He practiced, worked out, took the game seriously, paid attention during the game, didn't screw around before or after games in the clubhouse. He took his job seriously, and he had a fantastic career. Congratulations, Martin Prado. I'm sorry that we were never able to get you into the postseason the way you deserve to be with the Marlins, but you did a great job with us. You did a great job with the new regime, and you will be missed by Major League Baseball and all the players. Congrats. Last night, I uh, did something that I wouldn't have expected to do. Uh, watch a movie. Oh, yeah. I do that every single day. And today I watched a movie last night called Inside Bill's Brain. And the reason I was attracted to this is that I was told by Ruben, another mention of Ruben. Yes, the guy here at CBS who likes the Lakers. Yeah, that guy. To watch this documentary called Inside Bill's Brain. It's about decoding Bill Gates. Bill Gates, as in the founder of Microsoft. If you haven't heard of Bill Gates, please let me in under the rock that you are currently living under. Bill Gates is now an older guy. He retired from Microsoft in 2008 or 9, and he devoted the rest of his life to his own foundation. He's agreed to give away over half of his wealth, and he has started a campaign where all the wealthiest people in the world give away, it's called the pledge, the wealth pledge, where they give away at least half of their money to a foundation in order to be used to change the world. One of the things that strikes me about Inside Bill's Brain is that I, I love philanthropy, I love being charitable, I think it's critical, it, and that's learned, right? You're not born being philanthropic, you learn it, you learn it from your family. I learned it from my family and I've taught it to my family. That's how charity works, and amounts don't matter. You can give a dollar, you can give 50 cents. Think about it, you get a dollar a day. Skip Starbucks once a day. That means you're giving an organization $360 a year. That makes a difference. That's not nothing. 365, of course, would be the math if you did a dollar a day. But Bill Gates has a little bit more money to give and he's doing it. And sometimes I feel when I'm giving charity, am I really making a difference when I give some money to a homeless organization? Am I curing the homeless problem? When I'm feeding children who don't have the ability to have three meals a day, we did that with the Marlins all the time. Turkey drives, giving turkeys away. Am I really helping? Because they'll eat the turkey and then what are they doing for their next meal? How does it work when kids are dying of disease because they don't have access to water? There are kids who don't have access to water? Yes. There are millions of kids dying every year from diarrhea. And that's because they're playing in undeveloped countries in the sewage system. 
because there aren't pipes, there aren't sewage treatment plants. Right now in America, we flush the toilet and we don't think twice about it. Well, the rest of the world does think twice about it because they don't have a flusher. They don't have a toilet. They don't have plungers. It goes into a lake of crap that the kids are playing in. And the kids are dying because it's dirty water. And then they get sick and they literally die. For those of you who have children or yourself, when you get diarrhea, you get Pedialyte, you drink some water, and you just sort of stay in and watch movies. These kids don't get that opportunity. They're actually dying. Bill Gates said, I'm not going to fix the problem for one kid. I'm going to try to fix it for every kid. So he went and he gave millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, to try to take the sewage and turn it into drinking water. Yes, I said it. There are scientists out there who he paid, who invented ways to have no electricity required, no running water required. All it is is a toilet, and once it flushes, all of a sudden, the crap turns into regular drinking water. And Bill Gates, in this show, drinks the water, and he loves it. Of course, we don't see the outtakes, but it looks clean to me. It certainly looks cleaner than sewage. Why do I compliment Bill Gates for this unbelievable movie? Because in the second episode of this three-part series, he's eradicating polio. Polio is something you don't hear about anymore because we all get a vaccine. But again, we're in America or whatever. If you're listening around the world, thank you. If you're listening in a place that has polio, my guess is you know what I'm talking about. Because he spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to eradicate polio. That's not curing it. That's getting rid of it completely like smallpox, which is the only disease that's ever been eradicated. There were only 33 new cases of polio in the world. So he's got to invest more money to get that to zero because he is going to get rid of an entire disease. Watch this three-episode show on Netflix. Learn what it is to be philanthropic and charitable and brilliant and to be inside his brain, which is always moving, always crazy, always thinking. Do you know I'm going to give you one little spoiler? Bill Gates takes a think week every year, and you're going to say you don't get vacation. Your boss only gives you two weeks a year. I get it, but take a think hour. Here's what it is. He goes to a secluded place with books, and he reads. No TV, no binging, no sports, no entertainment. He just reads and he thinks. And what he thinks about is how he can make the world a better place. I'm not asking you to take a week. I'm asking you to take a few minutes just during your commute, right after you listen to nothing personal. Just think about one thing you can do differently and try it. We're None of us will ever be Bill Gates. But what I do know is that every single one of us If even the people just listening to this show, if every single one of us did one thing better, we together could do more than Bill Gates can do alone. And imagine that power. Well, the pick of the day, we are, uh, we've been hot. I mean, I, you know, I'm sorry. I told you to take the Clippers. The days of fading me have come to an end. Uh, Kawhi did load management. I, I couldn't stand watching him on the bench, actually. I watched the game and I found it to be interesting seeing him injured. I'm used to players dressing up who were injured. His load management was because his knees don't allow him to play back-to-back games, which is somewhat surprising to me because if you can't play back-to-back games, why are you in the NBA? So tonight I'm watching football. It's Thursday night football. It's great. Thursday, Sunday, Monday, three out of seven nights I'm watching NFL. And it's Raiders Chargers. For some reason, could someone explain to me how the Chargers can be favored in this game? 
Uh, it makes no sense to me. Uh, you know, we talked yesterday about the owner of the Chargers, Dean Spanos, and he went through that uh, profanity-laced tirade about moving to London. Well, meanwhile, the Raiders are quietly under Gruden having a much better year. This, to me, is such an easy, easy pick that something has to be wrong. The Raiders are going to win the game outright, and we're getting a point and a half. We're getting a point and a half. We're taking the Raiders. It's a win. Don't fade me, please. So I've got some interesting things on Wait to See, which is another segment we do. You know, I keep track of the Wait to Sees, and the reason I keep track of them is that I want to make sure that there's complete and always accountability for what I say. And what I normally say is, hey, wait, it could be to 2020, or it could be in six months or eight months. My Wait to See today is actually something that's happening tonight. It's the awarding of the Silver Sluggers. What a Silver Slugger is, it's an award that is given to an offensive player because he has been the best in his position at slugging. And that's very hard to do this year because everybody slugs. If you don't hit 20 home runs, right, you you, you really can't even play. Jose Altuve has won a Silver Slugger. If you've never heard of Jose Altuve, he's my size. He's listed at 5'6", he's actually 5'5", but even small people can win Silver Sluggers. My way to see is I've got two great picks for you if you're in your silver slugger pool. The first one is I guarantee you on the National League side that the Mets will have a silver slugger award. They may end up with a silver slugger award winner, a rookie of the year winner, and maybe even a Cy Young award winner. What I do know is Pete Alonso is going to win a silver slugger tonight, and he's not done winning. He is guaranteed to win rookie of the year. So wait to see. Not only will Alonzo get a silver slugger, but he's going to add to his trophy shelf with rookie of the year. My second way to see is Alex Bregman. You watched him in the postseason, the cleanup hitter for the Houston Astros. He's also going to win a silver slugger tonight, and he's a favorite to win the MVP in the American League. But he's not going to win it because there's a player for Los Angeles called Mike Trout. Mike Trout will win it. But the way to see is that Alex Bregman will win a silver slugger tonight and that will be all he wins during this award season, despite the cheers of MVP that were so pervasive all through the postseason. That's wait to see. You know, something happened uh, before we finish. I just want to tell a quick story about something that happened with uh, an assistant coach for the Atlanta Hawks. And it bothered me, and I'm, I'm going to be quick. But I just want to tell you, you know, NBA players, it's hard to be a coach this day and age. All of the players are making more than all of the coaches, with almost no exceptions. There's so many more assistant coaches right now in the NBA than there used to be. There used to be one coach and two assistants. Now there's like seven. They're sitting like second row behind the bench. Well, there's an assistant coach in Atlanta. His name is Melvin Hunt. And Melvin Hunt was being an assistant coach, which means during the course of the game he's watching, then he hands the clipboard over to the head coach, and then during the timeout he stands there and listens to the head coach talk to the players. But in this case, Melvin Hunt was so angry about the Hawks' play and their lackluster performance that he took a chair and threw it and slammed it. And this was right on video for all to see. But the interesting thing that happened is every one of the Hawks' players completely tuned him out, ignored him. 
As a matter of fact, the Hawks' best young player, a player named Trey Young, did more than just ignore it. He was so focused on what was going on inside the timeout, he saw the chair being thrown, and he quietly took his leg while keeping his body flush toward the coach. He took his leg, shoved the chair aside, didn't even shrug his shoulder, didn't look at Melvin Hunt. The problem I have with Melvin Hunt and throwing chairs is if you're going to throw chairs, I'm all for it. If you're going to walk into the clubhouse and throw a chair like Brody Van Wagenen did, or if you're going to knock over the food in the kitchen, I'm all into that. If you're going to hit a water cooler with your bat or with, with your fist or with your foot, I'm in for it. But make a point and make sure the timing's right. If not, you get completely tuned out. And I'm afraid that Melvin Hunt is already getting tuned out, and we're in the first week of the season. He blew his chair-throwing wad. He did his best Bob Knight imitation. Google it if you don't know what I mean. He did it in the first week of the season with Atlanta, and he's already being ignored? That's a major problem I have. If I'm an assistant coach, I got to make sure my timing is perfect and impeccable because people are always watching. Melvin, you shouldn't have thrown the chair. You could have thrown some shade at your team. That would have been a far better play. Well, anytime we can have a show that talks about collusion, I'm happy. Anytime we can give you some quotes, what's going on in Alabama, it makes me happy. Just remember, if you're going to the game in Alabama, be safe. If you need to hire a GM, don't hire a search firm. And always remember, this is just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.